Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on December 31st, 2023 on the basis of Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. Please join me in a quick prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, two stories, both of them true, both of them different. Uh, The first is of anticipation and joy, Uh, the second of bitterness and unrelenting tears. The first of a mother's loving look on her newborn child. The second of her tear-filled eyes at her child's lifeless body. The first of life, the second of death. That first story, that story of great anticipation and joy, was of a mother who gave birth to her son in Bethlehem. For, For nine months, she had carried that child inside of her, and although she hadn't met him yet, She loved him. He was a part of her. She felt a close bond with him. And and although she endured morning sickness and all those other uh, changes that happened, she knew that it would be worth it to bring this new life into the world. And when she gave birth to her son, he was the apple of her eye. She didn't know that she could love a a child so much. And although that first year of parenting was was not easy, her and her husband, they They worked through it together, they worked through their learning curve, and it brought great joy to their their family. It's a beautiful picture. It's not a fairy tale, uh, but but it's a beautiful picture. New life is rewarding. Two stories, both of them true, both of them different. The second story is about the end of life, about life that ended far too soon. Those same mothers who looked with incredible joy on their newborn children were now filled with an agonizing pain and sorrow over their their dead child. What was once anticipation and joy was now something that brought them great agony. What kind of monster would do something like this and why? Enter King Herod. King Herod, he was a, a complex historical figure. Uh, if you look back through, through some of the secular histories, uh, some will kind of laud him for being uh, somewhat of a, a talented ruler in ways. But he was also incredibly cruel. He was both a visionary builder and also extremely paranoid. He sometimes acted out of great strength and calculation and at other times acted out of fear. King Herod was king over the Jewish people, Uh, but the Jewish people, they despised Herod, and Herod could could feel that. To the Jewish people, Herod was just a a Roman puppet, a a foreigner. Herod could feel that, and that brought all sorts of insecurities uh, to him. Herod was not born a Jew, he was born an an Arab, and so he would never be truly accepted by the, the Israelites, by the Jewish people as their their rightful king. And because he could sense that, it made him insecure. It made him feel inferior as their their king. And he became murderously protective 
of his throne. You didn't want to be on Herod's bad side. And, and really, no one was safe from, from the grips of Herod, not even his family. Well, especially not his family. Herod killed three of his sons. He killed his wife. He, he killed a high priest, and he killed all the babies in Bethlehem. Kind of a bummer message for the week after Christmas, huh? We, we just celebrated one of the highest festivals of the Christian church year. One of the most joyous occasions as, as all of the songs proclaim the glory of the Lord. When the angels proclaimed that, that the, the child had been, who had been long promised was born in Bethlehem. And now, just a, a week later, great sadness, terrible tragedy, somewhat representative of real life, right? Uh, great joys followed by terrible pains. But I submit to you, there is great comfort to be taken out of this terrible tragedy. But, but maybe we need a little bit of backstory first. So we're picking up in the section of the gospel right after the Magi had come to visit Herod. Uh, Magi, you might remember as a little bit better as the wise men. We, we include the wise men in all of our, our tellings of the Christmas story, but in all actuality, the, the wise men probably came to visit Jesus a year or more after Jesus was born. But the wise men, they were from a far distant country. It probably took them a while just to, to get to uh, that, that area. But they were proof that the, the birth of this long-awaited Messiah was not just awaited by the Jewish people, uh, but this was awaited by all people. They looked forward to, to the birth of this newborn king, and these magi had traveled to worship the newborn king. They had followed the star, you'd remember, right? They had followed the star, and they had brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They, they had brought that uh, to worship this newborn child. Well, the star had led them to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're in Jerusalem. They haven't found this child yet, and so wh where would you go to, to find out where a newborn king uh, was born? Well, probably the, the current king might know where that newborn king was born. Certainly, if Herod had a pulse of what was going on in his, um, in, in his region, he would certainly have known about the most important birth to ever take place in Judea. But we come to find out he didn't. He had no idea that this newborn king was born, and when he heard... He was disturbed. In fact, the text says when he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. If Herod was disturbed, that affected everybody. Herod was disturbed because, remember, he is murderously protective of his throne. This was called a newborn king. He was the Messiah, which, which means anointed one. Uh, this was a threat to Herod's throne. And so Herod came up with this, this plan in his head of, of how he was going to, to remedy this problem. And so he's going to send the Magi to go and, and worship this newborn king. But he was going to say, once you find him, come back and let me know so, so that I can go and worship him too. Well, of course, Herod had no intentions of going to worship this newborn king. Um, his intentions became clear later. So the Magi leave. They, they go and they, they find Jesus in Bethlehem and they, they bring him their gifts and they worship him. And then an angel appears to the, the wise men. The angel appears to them and says, don't go back to Herod. Go back a different way because Herod has these intentions to murder 
this child. And so they, they listen to the angel, they go back uh, in a different route, and now we're picking up where, where that leaves off. Herod, when he finds, finds out that the Magi did not come back to him just as he had said, he's irate. Uh, his plan didn't really work out, uh, but he's not going to give up on that plan. He's going to protect his throne. And so he, he makes this terrible edict that any male child under the age of two in Bethlehem and the, and the, the surrounding vicinity should be put to death. And in this way, he would get rid of this Messiah, the, this newborn king. This wouldn't be a problem for him anymore. And, and any other child that dies in the meantime is just collateral damage. I kind of doubt that any of the, the mothers thought that this was just collateral damage. Hard enough to lose a, a young child, even harder to have a guard or a soldier bust into your house and take your child away from you. Could you imagine that, that pain? How could anybody do something like this? Even Herod, uh, who we've heard a little bit about his character, how could even, even he stoop to a level like this? And perhaps it leads to another question. How could God allow this to happen? Oh, what a question that is, right? And if the, the mourning mothers in Bethlehem were asking that question, they wouldn't be the first, and they certainly wouldn't be the last. If God is loving, if God is, is holy and perfect and, and good and wise, then how does this picture fit into our overall picture of God? That's something you've probably considered before. Uh, something you've considered after a, a terrorist attack. And people are asking themselves a lot of that after 9-11. After mass shootings, after natural disasters like hurricanes or, or tornadoes, after wars, after abortions. How, how could all of these things be allowed or permitted by, by God? How do these things fit into that picture of God? And sometimes it's even more personal, Right? Cancer, MS, ALS, a car accident, a job loss, a stolen identity, a life of unfulfilled hopes. How do all of those things fit into our picture of God? It's certainly a question that we've asked, maybe not so bluntly, maybe we've more thought it subtly. Because we understand a few things, right? Then our reason leads us there. If God is in control of all things... Um, and I observe everything, I observe things that are going on around me. If God doesn't control those things, then he, he must be causing that to happen. And if the things that I observe are evil, well, then God must be responsible for, for that. That kind of fits with reason, doesn't it? By asking the very question, though, how could God do something like this? Why would God do something like this? We're making an assumption, right? We're assuming that God is somehow capable of, of evil, that God uh, somehow mistreats or likes to mistreat his people. By asking the very question, we're, we're kind of charging God with wrongdoing or charging him with evil. All of the questioning, all of that kind of questioning sort of starts in the wrong place. It starts with the assumption that you and I 
have the ability and, and capacity to judge what is good and evil. It, it kind of assumes that you and I have the ability to take the place of God and that we could administer this world and manage this world better than he, he could. It sort of assumes that we have that, that capability, which we don't have the capability to, to manage and administer his world. And we have certainly had our, our, our idea of what good and evil is warped by sin long ago. No, if God is only what we can perceive with our eyes, what we can observe with our eyes, well, then God is far too small. And so there's two things. We've got to start in the right place. We've got to start by knowing who God is. That God is who he reveals himself to be in his word. That he is completely good and perfect. That he is love. That he is mercy. That he is peace. That he is grace. And if that's the baseline that we approach things with, well, then we'll process information. We'll process the things that we observe quite a bit differently than, than if that's not our, our baseline. If that's our baseline, then I'm going to view a tragedy happening quite a bit differently uh, than if I uh, assume that, that God is the author of evil or that God is capable of evil. If I come in with this baseline, my processing will be in line with what God's word has said, and everything that I think about him will be colored in that way. That's the first thing. The second thing is to realize that my perception is so limited. I don't know if you, you guys have seen um, this, this really old, uh, really old movie. Uh, it's, it's called about Pistol Pete, Pete Maravich. Um, he, he was, uh, he was a, a great basketball player. He still leads... I think he still leads the scoring. Uh, he has a scoring title for the, the NCAA, I believe. Now, there's this old movie about him where, where his dad shows him a basketball, and, and he puts a dot on that basketball, and he says, this is how much you guys know about the game of basketball. And then he draws a circle around that, that, uh, that dot that he put on the basketball. It's a pretty small circle, maybe something like that. And he says, this is how much I know about the game of basketball. But everything outside of that is what's left to be discovered about the game of basketball. So is our perception with God. That's sort of a trivial example, but the things that we can perceive are like that circle. Everything outside of that is what we can't perceive, but what God can. And so when we trust that God is, is good, and that he is love, and that he is mercy, and that he is kindness and grace, and we know that God can see across time and across people and across his overall plan for salvation, then we can sit back and trust. In this section, there are two stories, and both of them are different. The first story is the story that the mourning mothers perceived. And when we put ourselves in those mourning mothers' shoes we can't blame them if they came to certain conclusions. We can't blame them if, if they, they were, were fighting against God for being unfair here. We can understand that. But the second story is the story that the mourning mothers uh, could not see. But it's the story that you and I get to see because of the gospel lesson for today. In this story, 
there is a child about the same age as those children in Bethlehem. Uh, he belongs to Mary and Joseph. His name, of course, is Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. This angel comes to Joseph in a dream and warns him that, that uh, Herod's going to try to kill his, his son here. And so he tells him uh, to take Mary and take Jesus and get away. Go to Egypt. Save them. And so Joseph listens to the words of the angels and he leaves. He takes Mary and he takes Jesus and they go to Egypt uh, until it's safe for them to come back. The second story is about saving Jesus so that later Jesus could save the world. What the, what the mourning mothers could not see was that God was saving his own son now so that his own son could die later. What the mourning mothers couldn't see is, is that Jesus was being saved now so that the whole world would be saved later. God wasn't showing favoritism to his son, but he was saving him so that he could carry out his plan to save the world. And by fulfilling that plan, Jesus made payment for sin. Jesus made payment for the sins of those very first martyrs in Bethlehem. And he made payment for yours and my sin. There are two stories here, and both of them are actually the same. We can only see it from the earthly perspective. God sees it from the heavenly perspective and lets us in on that, that whole story. But it teaches us something about God here, that, that we, we can only perceive so much, but that God, who is grace, who is mercy, who is love, he perceives all things. He, he is over all things and graciously administers all things for the salvation of his people. And because Jesus has died for our sins and saved us, one day you and I too will have that heavenly perspective. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for taking time this week to, to be in the Word and to grow in your faith. We know that where the Word is preached, the Holy Spirit is working to strengthen and to create faith in the hearts of people. Uh, because we know that's the case, uh, and if you enjoy these sermon podcasts, we'd, we'd really love it if you'd share these with your friends. Uh, this is a, an easy way to evangelize and to get the word into people's ears. And, and as a way of also doing that, could you hit like or subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast? This is just a way that we are able to be seen by more people so that more people may hear this gospel message. We hope you'll join us next week as we, we dive into God's word yet again. God bless.